Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Ellen Brewood with Realty Executives of Kansas City in Leewood, Kansas. Last year, she closed 423 transactions with a total sales volume of $30 million. Her average sales price was $71,000, of which 13% were buyers and 87% were sellers. She operates a team with 14 members, one transaction coordinator, one offer negotiator, one BPO repair coordinator, one pre-marketing coordinator, one reimbursement bookkeeper, two property inspectors, one compliance auditor, one marketing manager, one marketing manager assistant, three buyer agents, and one team leader. Ellen Brewood is the team leader of the Selen Ellen team. She has been an agent for 16 years. She works the metro Kansas City market. Ellen has specialized in REO sales for 11 years. She started as a traditional agent. Then, she noticed several top agents who were specializing in REO. She decided to jump in and make a go of it. It worked. Ellen took a traditional path to the banks. She did BPOs, lots and lots of BPOs. She built a small team that performed up to 500 BPOs per month for about $50 each. It was labor-intensive, but it opened the doors. One day, a bank requested a review BPO. The bank was so impressed that they asked Ellen if she wanted to list their REOs. Ellen gives an overview of the REO business from the perspective of a hardworking, high-achieving agent. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Ellen. Hello. Before we start talking about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you were doing before you got into real estate. I worked for a management company that was a government contractor for the United States government, the military, and they did food service on government bases. And I did that for like 20 some years. And so I was a late bloomer in real estate. But my management skills and my opportunity to work on the government paperwork and the stuff the government really, really, really helped me to do what I do in the oil business working for the, the banks that I work for and the sellers I work for. So I had to produce and do manuals and do contracts and I had to run a corporation and, and the skills of putting together paperwork and being detailed and working on a fast pace and deadlines and all those things that we had to do really made what I do now less difficult than what I was used to. Prepared you for all the tedious details. Yeah, to prepare me, I did a lot of negotiating on contracts. 
so I had to negotiate. So that, that really, really honed my negotiating skills also. Did negotiating on a million dollars worth of contracts, you know, negotiating on a house sale is much easier. Why did you decide to get into real estate? Well, what happened was I went to refinance my house. And uh, while I was refinancing, I was talking to the loan officer. And, and at that time, I was getting really burnt out on what I was doing. And because I'd been doing it for so long, I was telling him I want to do something new. And we just got to talking. And he said, you got a, you got a wonderful gift of gab. He said, you'd probably be really good in sales. And I said, well, what kind of sales? And he said, real estate. So he said, you should go get your license. So I went to get my license. And that's really how I got started. And that was like 16 years ago. I got my license, and I didn't do that much. I kind of dabbled a little bit. And then as I got about five years into that, like 2000, um, I had some personal issues, and I just decided that's what I was going to do. And I just what I did. And I saw two things happened. I went to a award ceremony for Rookie Executives because that's the year I went there. The number one agent in the whole territory sold 400 properties that year, and she did REOs. That was back in 2001, I think it was 2001, so the year 2000. And I said, that's going to be me one day. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to concentrate on REO properties, even though at that time it wasn't even a big thing. And then I saw two guys on a magazine cover who did HUD, and they were number one in the country. And I said, hmm, this is where I want to go, because I, I love a challenge, and I love, you know, really doing big things and on a large scale. So I thought if I was really going to do real estate and do it right, that's what I was going to do. I was going to do REO properties, because the number of properties you could sell. Now let's go back. When you very first started, did you have a fast start or a slow start? Oh, very slow. I dabbled. I, I hooked up with some guys who were the number one agents in, in our town at that time, and they did investor properties. They had investors buying properties and flipping them and that kind of stuff, and I went to work for them. And I, So I did the buyer agent side for about three or four years. I worked for them, and I sold a lot of properties with them for a few years, and then they kind of disbanded, and so that's when I really went on my own. What year did you start then? By 2001, so when I really decided to do the REO side of it. So you had your license since 95, but in 2001, you start to increase the, your game, pick up your game, and go after the REO market. Yeah, that's when I started to go after the REO market. And, and what I did then was I concentrated on doing BPOs. And I was doing like 500 BPOs a month. Wow. Yeah, I was I was rocking and rolling. I could I could type like a hundred words a minute. I learned that from my old job too. I was really fast typist. I went everywhere and took pictures of properties and did BPOs. And for, um, I did it by myself for about two years. Then one day, I, so out of the clear blue, I had to do a second opinion, and I didn't know the bank was a big bank. And they called me and they said, "Do you want to do REOs?" And I go, "Yeah, let's do that." So that's what I've been working for, and that's what got me started. Because I had to get my name out there. You know, that's, that's a big thing about foreclosures and REO. You have to get your name out there. So you did the BPOs first for a couple of years at a huge pace, at 500 or so a month. And then the opportunity opened up where they asked you to do a second opinion. And you finally got assignment from a bank. Yeah, this is what got me an assignment. 
let's back up for a minute. We're going to come right back into REO, but let's talk generically about your market. Where is Leewood, Kansas? Leewood, Kansas is located on the Kansas side of metropolitan Kansas City, which is the Missouri side and the Kansas side. So the great part of doing real estate in Kansas City is you get two states to do it in. You have to get licensed in both states, Kansas and Missouri. Okay, so you are licensed in both states. Yes, I'm licensed in both states. Describe your current real estate market. It depends on what area you're in. Our market is very diversified. We have Johnson County on the Kansas side, which is which is an owner-occupant property, property for the most part. There are some rentals. However, it's not a lot of investors, so it's they range anywhere from fifty thousand to million dollars, or probably even over a million. Some of them, million dollars, in a million dollar range. So the average probably is around, I would say, two hundred to two fifty in that area. Then you have the other side of Kansas, which is Wyandotte County, which is the number one foreclosure county in Kansas. And it goes from, it's mostly rentals and investments. However, in the last 10 years, that county has um, acquired NASCAR and you know, restaurants and hotels. And it's really built up around the NASCAR. They've got some higher dollar houses out in that area, but most of it is rentals and investor-type properties. So in the average price in that county is probably around Oh, I would say a hundred thousand, because they range like five thousand to half a million. What is the days on the market? How long is it taken to sell a home in in your area? Like ninety-seven days, to average. Are you seeing more retail sales or REO and short sales in the market? Definitely REO and short sales. Do you think that that's half the market? Eighty percent of the market? REO is it used to be, you know, eighty twenty. Now it's probably sixty forty, sixty REO and forty retail. So you're seeing a little bit of a swing back into retail. Yes. Do you have a niche or a specialization? It's a hundred percent REO. And it sounded like you chose REO because you saw that that's where the high performers were working. That's where the high performers plus. In the middle of doing this, one day I walked in my office and my broker said to me, are you selling? I go, yes, I'm selling Ellen. So that born my niche name, selling Ellen. So everybody knows me by selling Ellen. All my signs have selling Ellen. Everything has selling Ellen. Even my sellers, a lot of the sellers know me. If I go to a conference, they all say, they're selling Ellen. I mean, so many people just know me by that name. That's been a big plus for me in doing this. But it it was that in that I like a challenge. I didn't want to go into normal real estate. I'm more because of my background and my corporate background, I'm more suited for working with corporations and you know, quasi governmental companies and because that's really what my background has been. There's no challenge in going to get a listing from a there's nothing wrong with it, but there's really no challenge for me to go get a listing for my seller. I mean, I'm more suited for doing 
you know, more corporate, you know, corporate sellers than the retail sellers. Help us compare the difference between the two. What advantages do you see in working with REO versus the retail side? I think the advantages are you have opportunity to sell more properties. You have an opportunity to close quick. And in today's market, the way today's market is, you have an opportunity to really, really do well financially on the REO side because you can sell so many at one time. Are there any disadvantages to working in the REO market? Oh, there's a lot of disadvantages. First disadvantage is the condition of the property is always a very difficult thing for for uh, agents. Agents and buyers are very, it, it, because they're not used to it, they have a hard time dealing with it and, buy, and purchasing a home even though they do want the discounted property. So that's the biggest problem I would think would be the the condition and the timelines and the deadlines and the fact that you have to stay focused on that deal till you get it done. You have, a, you have a seller that doesn't know anything about the property. And so you have to help inform them. Yes, you have to, you have to be the representative for the seller. It's not like you have a seller, the buyer in the house. You have a seller that's out of town and you have an, an agent that's representing the seller that is representing in, in all facets of that sale. Are you noticing that agents and buyers are avoiding foreclosure sales? Yes, because they don't understand, they don't know, they're not educated. There's really no education in doing what we do. What would you tell an agent who's avoiding the foreclosure side of business? I would tell them that it's not as difficult as you may you know, you may think it is or you might assume it is that we give a lot of education and we help buyers, agents, and buyers through the process and try to make it a very smooth transaction in spite of the issues that might arise during the um, course of the transaction. Let's walk through the different ways that you're marketing your business and generating business. You mentioned the first one, which is the selling Ellen name. You mentioned the origin was with your broker and that you really uh, jumped on that. Where do you advertise the selling Ellen name? On my website, on my signs, on my business card, on my um, flyers, on my properties, any advertising I would do. I do a lot of advertising, most of it's internet. I do it on there. So you've really branded it. Yes, it's a branded. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that another way that you market is you have a database of buyers. How are you creating that database? We have a database that for every call that comes in, that person goes on the database. And we, of course, we want to know if they're approved or not approved. And based on where they are or not, that goes on. The, all the information about that buyer goes on there, what they're looking for, what kind of property they're looking for. And then we assign it to an agent, and the agent's required to keep up with that buyer that's on that database, that they're a ready, willing, and able buyer. Are you keeping that in a software program? Yeah, it's a software program. Which software program are you using? We designed it. Yes, there's nothing you can buy. So it's an internal system. Mm-hmm. 
when you're gathering information on this buyer, what pieces of information do you want? You want their name, their phone number. You mentioned if they're approved or not. What other things? Their email, where they're working with another agent, what property they're calling on, you know, how soon they want to buy, where they're familiar with, if that house is a certain company, then we ask them questions regarding that company. I mean, the things that the company would want us to do because now the banks are, there's things they want us to tell the buyers about when they call. So we go over those particular deals with them, details with them. How do you use the database to benefit your business? When you get a new listing in, do you send out an email to all the buyers in the database? No, we don't do that. So it's just the one-on-one contact between your buyer's agent and the buyer in the database? Yes. And is the main source of communication through phone calls then? Phone calls or emails. How many people do you have in your buyer database? Thousands. We have a lot. Do you use your database of buyers to leverage into more business with asset managers? Yes. Anything else that you think that would be helpful for someone who's trying to get into the REO business per the database of buyers? Anything that they should be doing with their database of buyers? No, no, no. There's nothing additional I could think. We just use it to keep up with the buyers mainly. I also saw that you mentioned you do call capture. What do you mean by that? That's a phone number on the sign that when the when they call that sign, they get the information regarding the about the property, and then they have a that phone number goes directly to an agent, and the agent takes the call right then, so he gets the buyer's information. And it captures anybody who's who's really interested in that property out on the street. So it's a IVR system, and it has a recorded message about the property that somebody could call it and hear about first? Yes. And then it captures the phone number. And how quickly does your agent need to call back that buyer? We want them to call back within 30 minutes if they don't answer their phone. Could you tell us what your agent would say to that buyer when they call them back? Do you have a script or a dialogue that you want your agents to use? Yeah, we have scripts for our agents. It kind of goes over the property and and same basic information we do when we they call off the the signs into our office. It's the same information. It's really no different. And then I also noticed that in marketing, you have flyers at the properties. Yeah, we have um, flyers and we have pictures of the property and and it's about the property. And then we also have special flyers for the higher dollar houses. Are these flyers going inside the home for buyers that tour the property or are they outside on the sign in a flyer box? Yeah, outside on the flyer box. On the flyer, are you giving a direct phone number to call into your office or are you also using the call capture number to have them call and get information on the property first? No, we do it. We do it just into the office. Any recommendations for someone if they were thinking about using flyers on properties? Well, it speeds up your traffic. It speeds up the calls. It speeds up the people that are, that are interested in the property. It gives you the information of who's really interested in your property. Is there any type of information that you want to include on a flyer or want to withhold? Like, do you give them the price? Do you, you give them the address? you give them all the information on a flyer or do you hold some back? 
No, we gave them all the information. Because, you know, just calling the office wanting the price, I mean, that's kind of, we want to know what the price is up front. You mentioned that you have seller websites. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by seller websites? What is that? Some of the companies I work for, all of them have a website. Uh, or they have web platforms that they use. And they, some of them allow buyers to go on their website and look at the houses. Besides what we have or our MLS or that kind of stuff, their own websites. And the buyers can go look there too. This is another marketing tool. And then they have that Trula and all those other different websites. I think Wealthy Executives has like 32 different websites that buyers can go to. I get emails from totally different websites all the time. So this is an influx of leads, typically buyer leads that are coming in, not only on your website, but on corporate websites, the corporate clients that you're working with. They're generating leads for you as well. Correct. Do you have your own personal website? Yes. Any tips you could give someone who's thinking about putting together an ARIO website? Make sure that that website ties into the MLS in your in your city so that you can get the you can get that though your properties and other people's properties on your website and give them information regarding what you do and the REO and how you know and, and information about the REO business or whatever business you're involved in. You've probably tried a lot of different marketing ideas over the years. I assume a lot of them have worked. What has been your worst marketing method, one you would not want to repeat? What could you warn somebody against? I don't know. I haven't had any bad. They've all worked out. Yes, basically they've all worked out. Do you market to your past clients? I wouldn't, but the sales team would. You don't focus on any marketing for your past clients? For instance, the people who are buying your REO listings, you're not trying to generate a retail side of sales, but some of the people in your office are. Correct. That is something I'm looking into, but I just haven't done it because I've concentrated on building on building my business. With the ups and downs in the REO market and not knowing from year to year what's going to happen, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of money just to make sure you have that, and that's my core business, so that's really what I concentrate on. But once it stabilizes, which could happen in the next year and um, I get everything the way I want it to be, which which has been a lot of work, then I'm going to go in some other directions and I'll, probably, I'm not, and I'll incorporate and we, will, we, are, we are going to build a retail side. Currently, you're a 100% focused REO agent and you've been doing that, if I recall, you said from 2001, so about 10 years. Is that correct? Yes. Let's start talking about that REO side again. How many assignments do you think you have right now? I have over 200. And how many of those are uh, listed on the MLS right now? Probably 60. And how many are under contract right now? I would say 38 or 39. And in order to, to generate that many assignments and that much business, how many asset managers are you working with? About 10. The asset managers that you're working with, are you working with private banks or the government? Both. How would you break out just between private 
and government. What percentage of your business do you think is coming from private banks? Oh, probably, I would say, 50%. And the other 50% is coming from the government side? Yes. Mm -hmm. Which government entities are you working with? Okay, I'm working with Fannie Mae plus some Fannie Mae outsources. And then also, I'm working with Fannie Mae, but they're really HUD too. So it's a different kind of breed, but it's not private. It's like the reverse mortgage side. I'm working with them too. And they're under HUD. They're under HUD. They're they're under HUD, but Fannie Mae's involved. I don't really know how it works. I just know that HUD's involved. So on the government side, you've been mainly focused on Fannie Mae, and you've also picked up some HUD business because of that concentration. Correct. Let's go back to the story of how you got into the REO business. You mentioned that you were doing BPOs at quite a lot, 500 a month. My goodness, that's, uh, that's over 10 a day. You were really cranking them. Were you doing those all by yourself, or did you have somebody help you? No, I had, I had a couple people that were helping me do the typing and stuff. Okay, so you were doing all the field work, and then somebody else was helping you write them up? Correct, and then I also worked the weekends. I was working 24-7 trying to, you know... If somebody would throw me a BPO, I'd do it. Because I work on this adrenaline. I work on this competitiveness, and my biggest competitor is myself. So I just really, when I get into it, I just really, you know, try to achieve. I'm a, I'm a huge achiever. When you were doing this, I assume you were getting paid for the BPOs. How much were you typically getting paid for a BPO? 50 bucks. Back in those days. So yeah, I do 500 to make a living, you know? 500 a month, yeah. How are you finding the work in the BPO side? Were you contacting banks directly and asking for work, or were you working through some other medium? How were you getting into the BPO side? I was going to all the BPO mills. I was going to the BPOs on the websites. I was just going into all the different type of websites. There were several websites. I can't even remember the names of them now, but there was several websites that had BPOs and I was just going to them trying to get business. And the more I did, the more I got, it seemed like. I mean, I didn't start off at 500. I started off, but that's where I got to. I got to the point where I was doing 500 a month. How many people were helping you to write up the BPOs? Two or three of us. How did you pay the people that were helping you? Were you paying them an hourly wage or were you paying them a, a commission? How'd you make that work? I was paying them, I was just paying them hourly. Were they also real estate agents in your office or were they non licensed? They were real estate agents. Do you still do BPOs? Nope, I don't anymore. Do you still do them at that level? Do you still work with the BPO? websites or are you just doing the BPOs for your asset managers now? No, we still do BPOs. We still do um, We do the ones for all those things and then we do the ones uh, that you get paid for. We still do them. How many BPOs a month are you doing now that you're just uh, doing to, to get paid for? Maybe 30 a month. So your focus has really moved over to the asset manager side? Correct. 
Okay. And then the way that you said things opened up for you into the assignments were that you did a review BPO. Is that what you called it? You mean a second opinion? A second opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's what ran into the assignments. And then from there, they asked you if you wanted an assignment and just start opening up. Yes. That's when I started opening up. So you didn't go after and directly prospect asset managers for assignments. You went in through the BPO side of things. Correct. If you were to start over today in a new market, how would you jump into the REO business? Would you start doing BPOs again? I would start doing BPOs plus I would join a lot of platforms and stuff. There's a lot of platforms out there to join that you can get you can get properties. When you say platforms, what specifically do you mean? Could you give us an example? Equator, you have five star, you have ResNet, these are all typical platforms. The other thing is I would go to the audio conferences that they have several times a year just for education because there's so much. What, what is lacking in the audio industry is education. And I know that they give a lot of classes and the banks now give you classes you have to attend and if you're going to be their agent and I've been to several classes with all of them and they're all good and stuff but still when you go to the uh, conferences, you get to meet asset managers and stuff because it's all, you know, it's all how you how they see you. And if you see them, then you meet them, then you kind of remember you more than if you just send them an email, I would think. Have you been growing your business by going to the conferences? Yes, I definitely. Is it because you're meeting asset managers or because you're meeting other agents in the business who refer you to asset managers? No, I meet asset managers directly and then I belong to some organizations and that's those ones I work with the I meet the other agents and asset managers both. When you say you belong to some organizations, what are you talking about? Well there's several organizations like NAH, REP and you know different type of organizations that that have agents that do what we do. And I belong to the NAWRB, the women's organization, because diversity is, is, is coming, it's becoming a big thing in this industry because of the government and the government side of things, and it's all government, if you ask me. When you're at one of the conferences and you're trying to meet asset managers directly, how do you do it? Do you just walk up to them and introduce yourself? They set you up where you can meet them. They have... They they bring you all in and they have asset managers sitting at tables with different banks, and you go to the you go to the table and you talk to them and they tell you how to get hired. So it's a meet and greet. Meet and greet, yeah. Is there one conference that you would highly recommend for a new agent thinking about getting into the REO? Oh, five star. Because all the banks go to five star, and they advertise it for a year before they even put it on. If one of the Agents was trying to make a relationship with an asset manager. What should they say to them when they first walk up? They're interested in joining their team. Do you mention your track record? How do you promote yourself? Do you have a resume that you hand to them or just a business card? Give them a business card and you tell them that you're in the oil business and that you that you sell so many properties and that you're interested in expanding your business and they would be interested if they're looking for agents or they're looking 
you know, to find somebody to help with the properties. If they have properties, they need to move them or they need to find them, then then they want to, then they're interested in joining it, the team. Do the banks limit how many assignments you can have at any one time? I don't know. I think so. Because I think you have to have several banks to get any, to get a substantial amount of listings. You're currently working with 10 banks and 10 asset managers. What's the most you've ever worked with at one time? That many, 10. Why do you think that banks hire you? What is your competitive advantage? I think because I've been doing it so long. I think because I rank high in, for the last three years, I rank in the top 50 for the agents all across the country because I, they know my track record. They see my name. I've had asset management. I see your name on everything. Everything I see, I see, I see your name everywhere. Ones that I've worked with, I have, uh, I've done a very good job, so they recommend me to others. And that's what I think. I don't, you know, I just, I just work. You know, I just come to work and work. And I try to respond when they send me an email. I try to respond like real quick. So, because they've got so much to deal with, and, and if you don't respond right when they send you an email, they're going to forget what they sent you, you know. So, I always try to be very responsive, very dependable. I can't think of a major issue I've had with a property, even though I've had issues. I move their properties. The big thing is I move. I move 30 or 40 properties a month. That's a lot properties to move and I keep that pace up and I keep moving and I keep pacing and because the agents here know me and what I do then you know they they keep selling my properties so they all make me look good and I appreciate them very much and I keep my houses looking good and I keep my utilities on and I make sure they're trashed out and I make sure that you know, that there's not any big issues. And if they are big issues, then, you know, we try to take care of the best of our ability. If we can't, then we can't. But um, those kinds of things. How many of your properties are coming to you in need of repair where you have to go in there and get some work done? I don't know. That's debatable. I've heard some say 80%. I don't believe it's 80%. I think it's probably, it just depends on the properties. Depends on where you get them at. I would say somewhere between 30 to 40%. When you're working for the banks, are they expecting you to be kind of like a general contractor and arrange for all these repairs? They do if it's not if it's not their contractor. If it's their contractor, they take care of it. If it's somebody we hire, then we have to take care of it. That's a issue I'd like to bring up is the cost of being an REO agent. Many agents who have not worked in the REO business are not aware that you often have to put money up up front to get these properties going. If you were trying to put together a budget, how much money would you try to estimate to put aside for each property to get it prepared for sale? Probably between $1,500 to $2,000. What's that money going towards? What are you doing with that money? Why, are, why do you have that cost? Utilities. Utilities, yard work. Uh, safety and health hazard issues. Some of them get carpet and paint. 
Some of them we do uh, carpentry work. Just you know, some of them we repair, some of them we don't. So you just have to do an average, and that's just an average. Whether I do a thirteen thousand dollar repair bid or a five hundred dollar uh, safety issues from you know, if you need if you have a house has been sitting vacant and it needs a sump pump, you got to throw a sump pump in there, or you know, you got some discoloration, then. You know, we try to deal with that if we can. If we can't, we don't. You know, just that kind of stuff. When you receive these properties, are they typically occupied or not occupied? They're 50-50 occupied, 50-50 not. When they're occupied, how do you handle it? Do you have to help the occupant out of the property? Yes, we have to deal with that. What's the typical method for doing that? Are you doing evictions? Are you doing cash for keys? We're doing everything. We're doing cash for keys. We're doing evictions. We're just helping them leave. It's too late. They missed a cash for keys date. We're helping them leave. I have one person who's dedicated just to do that, just to deal with the cash for keys. I have somebody else who handles the evictions. And most people, you know, they leave. They don't give up. We don't have a lot of drama in our eviction process. So then it, it typically doesn't go all the way through the eviction process where the, the court is involved and the sheriff is there? Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does go there. And then there's people who leave personal property that's worth more than $500, and we have to deal with that. What do you have to do when they leave valuables that are more than $500? It's eviction just like anything else. It's like it with the people that aren't there. Do you have to store their items? Yes. In Kansas, in Missouri, we don't. Kansas, we do. You have different laws for different states. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. How long do you have to keep their items in storage? 30 days. What happens at the end of 30 days to the items? It gets disposed of. And then you'll go into the property, do an inspection. Then you have to decide whether you're going to recommend to sell it as is or make some repairs? Correct. Do you see that you're typically repairing properties or typically selling them as is? As is, 60%. 60% as is and probably 40 we repair, do some kind of repair. Because sometimes we just do financeables. We don't do a full-blown. just depends on uh, the value and things like that. So you're going to make a recommendation to the bank as to whether they should repair or not? Correct. Do they usually go with your recommendation? Yes, most of the time they do. Are you doing any kind of outreach programs to either the public or other agents where you're trying to educate them about REO properties? I just had two classes giving education to two groups of agents. And I'm in the process of setting up a meeting with some agents that do other type of foreclosures, HUD and, HUD and some other companies. And we're supposed to do a joint, a joint meeting, trying to educate agents and buyers on 
on how to work with our properties. We're getting more into the educational side of it. Let's talk about your team. You've got 10 people helping you with this process. How have you structured it? Could you walk through a list of the team positions, the positions on your team, and what those people are doing? Okay, I have a transaction coordinator who handles a property after it gets accepted to closing, and that's all she does. I have a person that works as a utility coordinator that works with all the utilities, make sure they're on, making sure if they can't get turned on for whatever reason, they call it safe to restore because it's been off for so long that then she has to coordinate the work and that kind of stuff so she can get it turned on afterwards. I have a person who deals with offers and inspections and handles that for the agents as they come in. I have a person who does all my BPOs and handles my repairs, gets the bids, does the photos, all that kind of stuff. I have a pre-marketing coordinator that works the cash for keys, HOAs, Anything that happens before it goes to market, puts it on MLS. She does everything after putting it on MLS, then she's out of it. Then I have a person who deals with my reimbursements and my accounts for all the money that's spent on the properties. Then I have an inspector who goes to the properties and checks them and makes sure that everything, I have more than one of those, I have two of those. There are property inspectors that go and check the properties, do security checks, do occupancy checks, all that kind of stuff. I have a marketing manager who handles the marketing side of my properties and he has agents under him that work for him. Then I have a part-time person who was my broker for many years and she comes in and makes sure I'm in compliance with with the commissions. She works part-time and checks my files and stuff and makes sure I'm in compliance too. Under the marketing manager, is that where you have your buyer agents? Yes. How many buyer agents do you have? Three. And then he has an assistant, too, that helps him. Now, you built up this team, the 10 people. Who did you bring in first? Well, my transaction coordinator. So that was the first position you brought in? Yes. And then what position did you bring in after the transaction coordinator? Well, I've had all of them in one capacity or the other for a while. Uh, Up until two years ago, Maybe a year and a half ago, I went to all my own houses. I did all my BPOs, which was a lot. And I was, I was just really, really close. I was running my business, doing everything else. So I got kind of burnt out. So I brought in somebody to handle my BPOs at that point. But that's only been a couple of years ago. And that took all it off of me. And then, but before that, I brought in a pre-marketing person who who took on assignments, you know, as I built and as I grew, I brought on people to take off things I was doing because initially it was just me and a transaction coordinator. And then after my pre-marketing person, I brought in a reimbursement person, makes my reimbursable, and she worked with the utility person who has been here for a while. The utility and the reimbursement basically worked together. And then my property inspector, I've had them for probably, I don't know, six, seven years. And then my marketing manager, that just happened in the last two years also. So I would say my marketing, my BPO came in last, but everything else I've had in my business as I was growing. But as you grow, then 
you know, more stuff was taken off of me, and and now I just have a team that does it all, and I just monitor it and make sure it gets done. But there's still some things that I do myself, just to make sure that I'm in compliance with my fellows. Are all these people licensed? No, I only have three licensed people in my office besides the buyer's agents. Which ones have you licensed other than the buyer agents? The marketing is coordinators licensed, my BPO, repair coordinator is licensed, and my offer person that handles my offers is licensed. Normally, my transaction coordinator would be licensed, but the lady I have now is not. She's had a license, but she doesn't have it now. She's not doing it. Do you prefer to hire experienced or inexperienced people? That's a very good question. For a while... I thought I needed a very experienced person, but in my business, you have to train. The biggest thing is the training that you give them, and you don't want anybody with the mindset with the mindset that is contrary to what they need to be trained because it's too hard to get under control. So I think my transaction coordinator, I would definitely want somebody who was who was experienced. And then, I, of course, I want bookkeeping accounting experience on my reimbursement person because I got QuickBooks or whatever the, the accounting software is. And you can't really tell someone how to do utilities. So that's just that normally utility thing is some I have found from talking to agents that the utility person has to be somebody you really, really are very close to. Because if you just hire somebody to do it, they won't last. Cause it's so stressful. You got to ask somebody who really wants to do it and really wants to help you really, 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 like a family member or somebody like a real good friend or somebody you really, really know really good because it's such a, it's the most difficult job in this business is the utilities because you're dealing with utility companies and you're dealing with just all kinds of problems and you stay on the phone all day talking to them. Is that a high turnover position? It would be unless you hire, you know, this friend of mine, he has his wife doing it. <laughs> and then somebody else has somebody in their family doing it. And I have a really good friend of mine doing it. And I talked to an agent that just hired somebody to do it. And she says, I've been before people in a year because it's just so stressful. It's the hardest job in this business is doing the utilities. And that's why there are so many agents that don't even do utilities. All they do it themselves. On the cleanouts, are you... Hiring that out to another company? Yes. Or the banks are doing it themselves. Just depends. A lot of banks do their own cleanups now. They don't have us do it. They want us to concentrate on the selling. They do not want us, you know, doing all this other stuff because they think it takes away from them selling the property. So they're hiring their own business, their own companies to do it. Are there certain numbers or metrics that you try to track in your business and that you're watching each day or each week? My sales, what I'm selling, what my conversion rates are, what what's my execution, those kinds of things. What a house sells for based on what it was valued at, what my BPO was at, and how many I'm turning over, and how many I'm I have in inventory. I assume you have to have a pretty strong system, especially now that you have the ten people running around. Are you using a software program to help you keep control of all these different processes? I have two software programs. One is a standard IO that that is that was developed to work with Fannie Mae 
So that's that's my client. So I they work with Fanny, and then I have um, one that we built ourselves, which has kind of the same information, but it's it's just more like within our group that we use it. It has all the properties and kind of tells what's going on, occupancy and that kind of stuff. And it's just easier. We use one for like the sales side of stuff and we use one for like the pre-marketing side. The one you said you use for Fanny, what was the name of that software? It's a broker brain. Broker brain. Mm-hmm. The one that you designed yourself, did you have to bring in a programmer to design that? Yes. We just put together, we just sat down and went through everything we do and what we wanted on it, and he fixed it. He did it. How long have you had that system, your self, self-created self system, how long have you had that in place? About six years. So it's holding up? Mm-hmm. And it helps us with, like, the maintenance we do on the properties and all that kind of stuff, and and all our occupancies and our photos and that kind of stuff, even though we do have a scanner that has our photos, too. We have, we have thousands of photos. We have two or three people taking photos of our properties so we can make sure we get the right, you know, we can see what we need to see about the properties. You have a lot of people running around, 10 people. How do you keep them all on the same page? Do you have a weekly meeting? We have a daily meeting. We meet every day. We have to. It's the only way to keep it together. When do you meet? Do you meet in the morning, the afternoon? Yeah, we meet in the morning. We meet in the morning, we bring all of the stuff we have under contract, we discuss every file we have under contract, what's going on, what's going on, with, is it going to close, do we have title, do we have appraisal, do we have whatever we have, do we have inspections, have we done this, is everything going good, has the party been disorganized, you know, whatever problems they're having, whatever they, it's basically my time to give to them so we can discuss whatever problem. And it works really good. And 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 they like it. They, they say, when we have our meeting, I mean, they really like it because even though it takes sometimes 30, to 30 minutes to an hour out of your day, it helps us to know instead of me having interruptions all day from my staff, then I don't have to have a lot of interruptions because they know in the morning just bring whatever and we discuss it. What time do you like to have that meeting at? Maybe 10, 10, 11, somewhere like that. So you've already started your day and accomplished a little bit, and then you pull everybody together for a roundup. Right. Who's in that roundup meeting? Is it the entire staff? The entire staff. And basically, they're able to bounce questions off you, learn their own information, but also be learning by osmosis because they're hearing about other people's problems and how they're solving them. Correct. Well, there's going to be a lot of people out there listening to us, and they're going to say, man, you got all those people running around, 10 people running around. Ellen, are you profitable? I'm profitable, but when you have to put out as much money as I have to put out and you have to wait for as long as you have to wait for that money, a lot of my properties ate up in in the work I have done on my properties. So I am profitable, but you really don't see it to the extent that you could see it. You know what I mean? If I was just selling houses and I was getting commissions and I was paying the staff to help me do that and I didn't have to and I was a retail agent then, oh, I would, yeah, I'd be real profitable. But when you're steady paying out, paying out, paying out, that's all we do is pay out, pay out, pay out. Then you don't see your profit. But you know you're profitable because you know the other, that money's coming in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know you're going to get your money back. You're going to be reimbursed for it. 
so it's kind of like it's there, but you don't see it, basically. At any given time, how much money do you estimate you have out there in in receivables, How out there that you're paying for items that you'll be reimbursed on later? Thousands of dollars. We'll leave it at that. Thousands. You mentioned you have somebody who focuses specifically on reimbursements. That's got to be a, an important job. How do you make sure that you get paid, that, that you don't put the money out and lose it? Oh, we have a great quality control program in that department. First of all, I have I initial every, I don't initial every invoice, but I initial every, every every estimate that goes to the bank that has to get approved. I have to I have to initial it. I have to see the approval that came with it. You know, I have to see what was approved before I initial it. So that's one big thing. So I know I'm getting reimbursed for it because I have the approval. Then every month, my accountant, my reimbursable lady, has to bring me where I've got all the money back for that month. She has to come and show it to me. And then I have an accountant, and he goes back, and he does a call. He goes back, and he checks and see if there's any money missing. And then, and then you know, I have contractors, so, you know, I pay them, but, you know, I have to always check back with them. So we always have to go back and check back and forth. So you're spending a lot of your own individual time going in and monitoring that department to make sure everything's happening correctly. Correct. Yeah, because I have to give my money. And I have all this money out, and i got to make sure, you know, that it comes back. And that's a huge responsibility. Are there any tips you could give a newer REO agent on reimbursements to make sure that money comes back? Every bank has a platform, a way of billing. They all have their own billing procedures. So just make sure that you go back every month and you check whatever money you put out. At the end of the month, that money, you've got that money back. If you don't have it back, that you're following up, where is it? Because we have to do a lot of follow-up with these banks. You know, we submitted this invoice such and such a day. We haven't been reimbursed. What's going on? Da, da, da. The majority of the time, the money that you put out, you do receive it back, correct? Yes. What's the typical time frame for how long you've, well, I call it lending it to the bank. How long have you put the money out there before you get it back? 60 to 90 days. So you have to be able to float an uh, interest-free loan to the bank for 60 to 90 days. Get a sell the houses. And I guess where I really get upset is when I have a $1,000 property and I have my 2000 or $3,000 out. That's when I really get nervous. Have you ever been burned on that where the bank did not pay you? Nope. No. And a lot of things, just to get a sale done, if a buyer's agent comes up and wants something done or whatever, and I just don't want to go, I'll just go ahead and tell them just to do it. I'll just have the contractors go ahead and do it, and I'll just pay it out of my pocket. Just Or if a utility bill, sometimes I get burned on utility bills a lot. Not a lot, but, you know, sometimes you don't even, I don't even send the bill to the bank because this is, I know it adds up, but it just doesn't seem that much. So, so sometimes, I think sometimes if we don't make it, the biggest thing is when a property closes, they want all their bills. Everybody's got a certain time frame, seven, 15 days. And I think sometimes I missed it based on that. I didn't get in that 15 day window and I might've got broke, but it hasn't happened a lot. I have a very good person handling. You you just have to have a very good person handling your money. That's huge if you don't do it yourself. Back to the idea of profitability. If somebody were thinking about getting into the REO side of the business and they were trying to run their 
business plan, what would be a good estimate for them to estimate on net profit? What percentage of the money that comes in the top should end up in the bottom? It depends on how much you have to put out. For example, if you make $30,000 a month selling REOs, full of figure, but you've had to spend out 40000 I mean, you're not making a profit. See what I'm saying? First of all, you have to make a huge investment. You have to put so much in it. Then if you put like, let's say, $50,000 to start an IO business and you use that for your reimbursements and your costs and that kind of stuff, then yeah, you could see a profit, but you'd have to be loaning, loaning the money back to yourself. So I would say, this is just a guess, 20%. I know it's not as low as 10. I don't think it's as high as 30 or 40, but about 20. You said you've educated yourself through a series of conferences and classes. Are there any other sources you could give people to educate themselves on the REO business? Are there books out there or any training that you would recommend? There's a lot of stuff on the Internet you can see, but how do you know whether it's good or not? I mean, I've never tried it. Well, Five Star has a whole certification program. I mean, you could try that. The biggest thing with the IO business is you have to learn about values and how to do BPOs. That's key and critical because that's going to help you market and that's going to help you do everything. If you don't do the right price for a property or you don't give them a right price, then that you can get killed off real quick. So I think the number one education you need to concentrate on are how to do a BPOs and how to determine values based on the market. If you're good at doing that, you won't need it. But if you're not, that's the number one key critical thing you need to learn. And they have BPO certification classes. I've seen them. How to do a BPO. and So that's where I would concentrate my learning is on the yeah, BPO side I'd learn. I, I go and try to find me some BPO classes. Because that's, that's the key critical point of your business are the values. And they grade you. I mean, you could grade it on the stuff. You're graded on what the house sold based on what your BPO was. And your scorecard determines how many properties you're going to get. You're an expert at BPOs. There are very few people who have done as many BPOs as you have. If you are going to try to train someone to do a BPO, what are the top three things that you would tell them to be focused on to make sure that BPO is done properly? Condition. Who the property is going to be sold to, owner-occupant or um, investor, your comps. Is it close to the property, that they're, that they're in line with the property, that they like the property? Those are the three things, your comps, your condition, and your, who you're going to sell the house to, who you're going to market to. In your BPOs, do you have to make an estimate of how much it would cost to repair the property? Yes. How do you do that? Are you just pulling numbers out of thin air? Are you using a book? Did you create a, a rule of thumb for yourself? How did you do that? Originally, I did uh, estimated everything. I estimated, I had no idea. As we have done more repairs on properties, and, and the person that does my repairs also does my BTOs, so he has an idea what it costs to do certain things. So he has learned that way. So whoever does your BTOs, or whether you do it, you know, when you get estimates and stuff from condo, you get a lot of bids. So they're telling you what it's going to cost you to do certain things. So he he usually uses their prices to do in the BPO. But when you first got started, you didn't have that advantage. 
when you were doing all those original BPOs. So how were you estimating the cost? Were you just trying to guess? Were you calling around to get bids? Did you use a Marshall and Swift book? How did you do it? I estimated it. Just took a guess. Well, you got to remember, I did, I sold a lot of properties for investors. And what they did was they went and rehabbed the house. So I had a pretty good idea because of that and because my dad was in construction, I had a construction background, I had a pretty good idea what it cost to do things me for me personally. So I was able to use that education, that knowledge to do the BPO. Then if I didn't know, I would call somebody who I knew was a contractor and say, hey, what it cost to do so-and-so, and they would tell me. That's how I did it. So you did make some contacts outside of your own knowledge base to try to build up your expertise. Correct. Ellen, why do you think you've been so successful in REOs? I am a hard worker and I have an excellent sense of timing. Okay. Because long before the bubble, housing bubble burst, I saw foreclosures as a way to make money. Even before all that. So I learned. So I had the great opportunity of having some excellent asset managers train me and they liked me and they trained me and they told me how to do things. And so I had an advantage that way because I've always had good relationships. And because I learned before it really became the norm and there weren't as many properties and there weren't as many, you know, issues and problems and, and demands and stuff like there is today. I was able to learn at that, that time. So I pushed myself hard in the beginning and then all the doors just started opening. Before I knew it, I had a lot of business. And plus, I think my name had a lot to do with it. I've always, always, always been a hard worker. I'm not somebody who just sits around and says, oh, and I'm a high achiever and... And I'm very competitive. And I compete with myself on a lot of stuff. What drives you? Knowing that I work for the largest financial institutions in this country, that drives me. Knowing I have the opportunity to do it. I have the, the honor. I have the opportunity. I have a business. I have people who depend on me. I have livelihoods that I have to take care of and people I have to keep feeding and and a lot of people depend on me and that's what drives me. How big do you think this is going to get? That's a good question. I've heard everything from seven years to two years to five years to four years. I heard after after this now you have to remember there's an election coming up so that's going to play with this business and but I hear after and I've heard this for so long I've heard we're going to all get slammed. We're all going to get properties. Everybody's getting ready to push them through. And whether that's going to dry up in the summer because they're going to want to do other things and, you know, because the, because of the elections and, you know, the economy and, you know, what's the biggest problem with the economy? Foreclosures. So I don't know. It, to me, it's a day-by-day thing. I don't really, I just don't depend on it like that. How big do you see your business getting? 2011 was my biggest year. So I don't know. I plan to pick up. I have some other things working and I could pick up some more business. 
on some banks that I have not had properties from for whatever reason. I'm coming back online. I would like to double it. So try to get up to six, seven hundred closings a year. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's too late for a new agent to get into the REO business? No. Do you think that's because the market will continue to grow and more REOs will come out? Or do you think that it's because there's always opportunity because somebody's always falling out? Well, I've already heard that the banks are looking for agents, but that they want agents that have diversity, like a minority or a woman or something like that. They, you know, that is, those are this way. And so it's, it's changing. Now, if we're already in it, I don't think it's going to be an issue there. But if you're trying to get in, I think diversity is going to play a key role in getting in it. Ellen, how do you keep control of your time? I have a good staff. My stuff kind of comes together. And I focus on one thing, that's selling REOs. I focus on my house is moving. I focus on what has to get done. I don't really get involved in three or four different projects and then watch them all fall apart. I, I really focus on one thing. And I've alleviated a lot of the nut and bolt stuff I've done for years and years and let other people handle them. I've delegated more. So I basically just an overseer type person and get involved when there's issues. But if there's not issues, I really don't get involved. I let my staff handle it. I think that's key and critical. Was that hard to sit back and let the staff do the work? Oh, it was very hard, especially for me because I'm a perfectionist. I'm a... I'm a freak. <laughs> I want my stuff to be, I want to be the best, you know. When you want to be the best, then you always, well, you know nobody can do it better than you because you've been doing it for so long. But at the same time, you got to give them that opportunity. And the more I've done that, the better my office has grown and better I've done. So now I go exercise at 6 in the morning, you know. I do stuff I haven't done. I'm trying to take more care of myself. And I go do things, you know, I don't let things interfere with my business, but I do things for Ellen. How many hours are you working in a typical week? Maybe 70 versus like 90. I take one day off, one day out of the week off. Not during the week, but like on the weekend I take off. Then I kind of catch up on stuff on another day. I make sure that I have that time that I need. If you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Put together a good resume geared toward this business and this market. What what have they brought in the past or what they've done that would help them do this? I've come to the end of my questions today. Ellen, is there anything that you would like to talk about that we haven't addressed? Yeah, one thing I would like to talk about, and that is what keeps me going or what keeps me is a personal relationship with God. Because in this business, you have to have faith. You have to have faith that you can keep going, that you can keep doing whatever. And so many times things have just worked out for me. And I know it's just because of God and because he's there for me and that He, I'm kind of anointed to do what I do. I mean, it's a passion. It's something that you have to have inside of you. You can't just get it. You know what I'm saying? You have to have it. You have to have that faith. You have to have that 
passion to do what you do. And you have to, I think, I heard Donald Trump say it, you have to like what you do. If you like what you do and you have a passion for what you do, as hard as it is or how many problems it is, it doesn't, it's not like it's really a problem. You know what I'm saying? Because you really, 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 really like it. And I really, really, really like it. And I have a lot of passion and I have a lot of drive. And it makes me very, and I like to share what I do with others. Not because I'm all that. It's like when I gave this class and I came to the class and goes, oh, this fellow, no, and you're this. And I said, no, I'm not. I get up every day. I go to work like you do every day. I'm, I'm very humble. I mean, I have a lot of acknowledgments and plaques and, and, you know, awards and things I've earned over the year. But that's, but that's not what I'm about. I'm about doing what I do because the bottom line of what I do is because I do it from, for what my banks want me to do, what my sellers want me to do. That's what I do. I do things. They say, we want to do this. I do this for them because that's what I like to do. I've always, always had that passion and drive to do it. And the thing I enjoy most is seeing the end results. When you keep getting assignments and you know you're helping people, and then right now the banks want owner-occupied homes, and when you can sell those owner-occupied houses, or you can help them get in them, then I help them meet their goals, and that's what makes me happy. And that's what I enjoy doing is doing those things because the more I sell and the more I do the things my banks want me to do, then the more the more I enjoy it. I, that's, it's my goal. It's not about the money. You know what I'm saying? It's never for me about the money. Because if it was me about the money, then I wouldn't do, you know, things I do. So it's it's just because I know I'm I'm providing. I'm taking these houses that are that have been foreclosed and I've turned them into, it's like taking lemons and making it into lemonade, making them into a, you know, you sell them to a new owner and they're enjoying something that was was not a good experience for somebody else. And they're helping the market and you're helping give people what they want. Like if I went to, okay, I go to the outlet malls, right? I go to the outlet malls because I want to get things cheap, right? You want to get it wholesale. Well, that's why people are buying houses. Because they want wholesale. They don't want to pay the retail prices no more. Just like people don't want to pay the retail stores, that's why they go to the outlet stores. Because they don't want to pay retail. Same thing in my business. People don't want to pay retail. They want to pay wholesale. Well, Ellen, you give great advice. Your REO focus and specialization has made you a knowledgeable expert. You foresaw the developing market trends and were an early adapter. Your tenacity and strong work ethic have pushed you to the top of the profession. Your willingness to share your wisdom and advice is admirable. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss 
their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.